it's been a while, but it's uh, lovely to be back for another Achieve More Scotland podcast. As you know, with these podcasts, we try to look at specific themes and topics and uh, speak to people uh, with a particular interest or knowledge of of these topics. And given that uh, we are in October, October being Black History Month, among many other things, we have a special guest to discuss their own involvement uh, with Black History and uh, over the, the, the past Black Lives Matter to a movement which has uh, been around for a while but over the last couple of years, particularly this year, has grown in prominence and uh, people are much more aware of it. Today uh, I'd like to introduce you to Councillor Graham Campbell. Graham is a Glasgow City Councillor uh, with a long history of uh, political and social activism, not just in Glasgow, it must be added, and we'll find out a bit more about that. Uh, and has uh, represented uh, his particular ward in Glasgow for three years now, I believe. Yes, it is. Graham, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. As ever with these podcasts, what we like to do is find out a wee bit about the, the person. Um, before we speak about specific uh, subjects, so if you can indulge us, tell us a wee bit about your own history, your background. You clearly, as people will gather from from your accent, uh, you well, you've been in Scotland a long time. You're not originally from Scotland. Well, this is the question that is uh, at hand here. Um, I would say that I am originally from Scotland. I now know this because my great grandfather was born in Scotland. Um, I didn't know that for most of my life growing up because uh, one of these things my dad didn't bother to tell me that actually his grandfather was born in Scotland and was a white Scotsman and you know so our immediate family is directly descended from here so uh, I, I would I often say this but people look at the Scottish diasporas you know Canadians Americans Australians yeah. white South Africans actually the Scottish diaspora is also Jamaicans, Caribbean people, West Africans, people from India, Pakistan, and Hong Kong. Because those are also people with my names and your names who are, have Scottish ancestry because Scotland was part of this British Empire thing. So this is the footprint. So I consider myself Scottish by ancestry and I choose to be Scottish by choice. But I was born in London. I grew up in North London. I spent many years there. I'm uh, my father's Jamaican, my mum's from an island called Grenada, um, so they got together in London, so uh, obviously I wouldn't be here without London, so I have to give London the credit, but um, you know, we were a West Indian household or a West Indian family that lived in London, so I had always thought of myself as a West Indian, not really a, a Londoner, so yeah. now I would say I, I, I would probably feel more, I'm a Jamaican Scot, is how I would describe myself now. That's fair enough, uh, and there's so many connections uh, between Jamaica and Scotland historically, isn't there? Um, and I suppose, as, uh, as, as we said in the introduction, the, the subject of our, our discussion is around about Black History Month, and it would be good to start if uh, you could tell us a wee bit about your knowledge and, and awareness of the connections between Scotland and Jamaica going back centuries. I suppose the importance of Black History Month is that it's not just black people's history, it's actually everybody's history, but it's it's that bit of the history which they don't tell you about, 
which is important to everybody's story because mm -hmm. if Scots just generally knew just how involved in in enslavement of Africans their society was and that the origins of a lot of our institutions like bank building societies, industries like shipbuilding and textiles, etc., all have their origins in exploitation of slavery uh, in the form of produced tobacco, cotton, and sugar. Those three commodities are the reason why Glasgow exists, mm -hmm. and they were all exclusively produced through chattel slavery, as we call it. Chattel meaning you're a thing, you no longer have human rights. It's different from other kinds of slavery. And so that's what's unique about this particular crime. And sadly, Scotland played a, a key role in it. And Glasgow had a pivotal role. It dominated tobacco, then it dominated sugar. So why it's important to know? Because, of course, it's the reason why all these nice buildings are here. It's the reason why these institutions that we've had ever since then are here. And you know, even universities, those they're still benefiting from them now. And indeed, quite famously, uh, the the when slavery was abolished, it wasn't slaves who got compensated; it was their slave owners who did. And they, the government went to a big bailout, had to borrow loads of money to pay it back. And guess what? If you were paying taxes before 2015, as I was you were still paying that debt back. We only finally finished paying for it in 2015. So uh, this is a live question. It's, it's not dead money. This money's still around. And the, the people who've got it are the people who've got country houses and estates now, who've got posh houses and who've got titles and lordships and so on. These people are still around. Yeah. They even still own some of the land they had in Jamaica. So they, they, it's not past stuff. This is still history that's with us. So I suppose it's important first in Black History Month and in indeed every month to remember that you know black people have played a role, particularly African people have played a role in developing the society we've got now. They've made a contribution but also they've made contributions to democracy, human rights, civil rights. And it's important to remember that many Glaswegians were opposed to slavery indeed big institutions like the university were opposed to slavery and fought against it. And those abolitionists worked with the slaves who liberated themselves and to fought against yeah. slavery. So it's important to remember that we have good guys on our side too. Yeah, um, so that, that's important. So History Month is telling us that the fight against slavery and the fight against racism, the racism behind that slavery, uh, is important to us because we need to challenge the racism we've got now. Because you know, this has a history, it comes from somewhere, it doesn't come in from nowhere. Mm -hmm. So, Black History Month allows you to ask these questions about those histories, tell different stories, highlight the stories of people like Mary Seacole or you know, Alauda Equiano or very famous African abolitionists mm -hmm. who fought slavery to a standstill. People like Frederick Douglass, who come here from America, key man in the abolitionist movement in America at the time of their civil war in 1861 to 1865, big ally of President Lincoln. Mm -hmm. That guy came to Scotland, spent pretty much a whole year here, travelling around Scotland. He was the Nelson Mandela of his day. And, and Scotland played a key part in his naming of himself as he was. You know, That wasn't his real name. He, he chose that name after a Scotsman. So yeah. it's important. He loved Robert Burns' poetry. He, you know, Africans and uh, African Americans in Scotland have a, a long 
link. So these are really important things that people should just know. Oh, absolutely. And I suppose another one that, that I'm aware of is, is, is uh, Dr. McCune, who, again, you know, African-American, couldn't get into university in the US because he was black. Uh, I came to uh, Glasgow, studied uh, medicine, and he uh, was the first black doctor to graduate from Glasgow University uh, and you know, so, those, so those links uh, are, 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 are there. I suppose a question I have for you is do you think that, that most Scots are aware of the things that you've been talking about uh, and acknowledge Scotland's contribution to, uh, to slavery and how it helped build the country? Um, in a word, no, but there have been recently moves that have changed things in terms of more people are aware, I think, than ever have been before. Uh, it has helped that we've got some very good historians who started to write about it, particularly I had to call out Dr. Stephen Mullen, who wrote yeah. a book called It Wasn't the Us, The Truth About Glasgow <laughs> and Slavery, and that It Wasn't the Us is the general you know, Scottish thing about it. We uh -huh. think, oh, the English did that, Liverpool, yeah. London, Bristol, but actually Glasgow did it. And many people in Edinburgh also did it mm -hmm. because they owned the plantations, yeah. they owned the, the revenue that come back from there, they owned companies in Liverpool and London and Bristol mm -hmm. that did the slaving and the trading. So Scotland, in up to our necks, we were disproportionately representing amongst the slave owners and slaveholders and traders. So we used it. And so the Black History Month allows us to remember that. Uh, and I suppose historians like Stephen have done that. The big historian, a guy called Tom Devine, who's probably mm -hmm. the country's biggest historian. Yes. The fact that he's now come back about five or six years ago now and said, yes, slavery played a massive role in the development of the Industrial Revolution and in country houses and in the economy of Scotland. So we now know that's true. You couldn't have had the Scotland that we have today without the slavery of, of yesterday. So. Now that we know this, and that therefore people are writing books about it, people are starting to make television programmes and radio programmes about that. And particularly, I want to shout out uh, Billy Kay for his radio pro programme, Scotland's Story, and also David Heyman for his documentary um, on, on slavery, Scotland's Hidden Shame, a couple of years ago now. But that's done a lot to promote a public debate and discussion out there now to say, well, you know, it's our, it's our past, it's our legacy. Now what we're going to do about it, what we're going to do to make amends and to make repair, how are we going to tackle the racism of now mm -hmm. in response to that, that racism yesterday? I think you're right and I'm aware of, 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 of how uh, the, the media has played a part in, 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 in making uh, Scots more aware of, 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 of our part uh, in, in that history, um, I mean, even down to the names of streets. Um, you know these 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 uh, streets around the Nelson City in particular are all there as a result of Scott's contribution to uh, the, the the slave trade uh, going back uh, centuries. A specific question for you: What place does Black history have in the education system in this country in terms of? making our children and young people more aware? It's a difficult one, but it, it, it's the case that, and I think Stephen would tell, tell us this, that it, since 2004, it has been correct that in the curriculum, people are taught about the transatlantic slave trade, the trade between West Africa, Europe, and the Americas, you know, Caribbean, the triangular trade. So 
So if you studied school, you have learned something about that trade. The problem is that it generally tells you about London, Bristol, and Liverpool's connection, mm-hmm. not Scotland's mm-hmm. connection. So that's the thing. You're learning about this trade. You're only learning up to about 1807 when abolition of the, in the British Empire happens. You know, they don't abolish slavery in the colonies. They abolish yeah. slave trading. So that slave slavery carries on for another 30 years, pretty much. Uh, but you know, so we've got a, a sort of narrative story which tells us about how Britain abolished the slave trade, but it benefited from it for two hundred years exactly. before abolishing it. Mm-hmm. So, and that Scots were central to it, mm-hmm. and, and the, indeed the sort of construction of Britain was partly based on the failure of the Scots to have access to the English colonies. So they created the Union in order for Scots merchants to have access to it. So even the creation of the, the, the country we live in yeah. is, has a, a background. So none of that is really taught in when, when people see that in the schools. So people often have come to me and said, oh, why didn't I learn this in school? Yeah. Why didn't I learn this in school? And it, it's not just a question of you do history. Clearly in everything, every subject, from maths to English to literature, there's loads of contributions of African civilizations. So it's not just about the slavery history, it's about what the African and Asian civilizations have contributed to global mm-hmm. history and culture, which is just unrecognized in yeah. the curriculum. So even the word academic, I mean, that's an Arabic word. An admiral, that's an Arabic word. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, these words that we just use, which we think are English, not English, they're, they're, there's proof that other civilizations, not European ones, have created culture and learning and educational understanding, which we're not accepting in, and not learning in the way we learn these subjects. So when you learn maths, you know that algebra was, was North Africans and Middle Eastern people who created that. Yes. You know, the numeral system that you're using, Indians created that. You know, so, so there's just no recognition of those past histories of civilizations and cultures that have contributed to European culture. And that's the point that's missing from the curriculum just generally. So when we say decolonize the curriculum, it means let's be less Eurocentric about it. Let's not uh, carry on the myth that only white people have created civilization and progress. In fact, the world's cultures have created that and they've always intermixed and intermingled. People have always done that. They've always traveled. Uh, and they've always shared knowledge, and we have to acknowledge where our knowledge comes from. So that's really the struggle around history. So it's not a surprise that people are ignorant if they have learnt from an empire which has a glorious past, as they keep telling us, as Mr. Johnson keeps trying to tell us, that they shouldn't be apologetic for enslaving the half the world and exploiting them killing them in large numbers, which is what slavery was. People have to remember that it wasn't just, oh, I worked for free for no payment. It was, you were worked to death in enslavement camps Mm -hmm. until you died, and then they replaced you with more people that they kidnapped to do it, and that lasted for 200 years. So this wasn't a small crime. It's the biggest crime ever in human history Mm -hmm. in which we profited from, and which builds our, our society as we know it now. So it's the curriculum and what you learn in school is crucial to just know the truth about that. It doesn't mean we want to make people feel guilty about it, it's just that knowing the truth allows you to deal with it properly and therefore work out how you then relate to the society that you're living in now and then what you want it to be. Movement uh, is, 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 is increasing, it uh, has a high profile. Uh, 
And my concern is that there's still a lot of ignorance around about why Black Lives Matter. I had a family member saying to me last night, sitting watching the news, but all lives matter. And someone who's elderly, someone who uh, you know is, is, has had that previous education at school, which is very, very narrow, but fails to, to recognise the, the importance and the need for movements such as Black Lives Matter to, to highlight what's going on in the world just now. What is the significance of black history to the current Black Lives Matter campaign movement? It's not a campaign, sorry, movement. Okay, I suppose we are the latest incarnation of, if you like, a civil rights movement. In a way, the civil rights movement of the 60s, 50s and 60s, probably led to in large part what we now call Black History Month, but the, the need for its recognition in the curriculum grew arms and legs in the 60s in America with the civil rights movement for equality. And also you have to say the, seven, the 60s and 70s were a big time of African decolonization and African and Caribbean countries becoming independent. So that was also important, was the liberation struggles that we had to wage. So I think the combination, to, I grew up in the 70s uh, so and 80s, so I kind of was already schooled in the anti-apartheid struggle with Nelson Mandela trying to be free and you know so all of these competing influences for Caribbean culture and independence, African independence and the civil rights movement in the States were all influences on us. So today the Black Lives Matters movement is, is really con uh, coalescing a lot of different experiences but obviously the, the fight globally against police racism and injustice just generally in the United States in particular is the worst examples but uh, that's racist policing is something we know about in the UK mm -hmm. you know, we've had 1740 deaths yes. in police custody and uh, as far as I know not a single police uh, prosecution since 1969 um, Prince Kelso Cochran was the last one where yes. a policeman was sent down for killing a black man in custody. So we've had all of these unanswered deaths. Uh, only one of these has been in Scotland, but it's one too many. It's Shekin Bayer yes. from five years ago in Kokodi. Not enough people know his name, by the way, but one of the things that Black Lives Matter has achieved is it's made the connection between police injustice there with police injustice all over the world, whether it's in Australia or Mexico. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's sad in one respect that people in Scotland didn't get to know about Sheikh Kumbaya until after George Floyd. Yes. And I know from five years ago when Ferguson happened, when Mike Brown and Trayvon Martin had been killed, mm -hmm. the first attempts to link the families who had experienced police injustice here, you know, the, the Marcy Rigg from the families campaign in, in the UK was... Uh, you know, part of this network of families campaigns, which we supported. So in 2015, we hosted uh, visitors from Ferguson and from Los Angeles to come to speak in Scotland. So they spoke in Edinburgh and Glasgow. So we filmed, formed the sort of Black Lives Matter coalition at that point. Uh, but it didn't really take off, partly because I think there wasn't a wide enough awareness amongst just black people, actually, mm -hmm. and also just amongst the wider population of just how big a problem racism is. Those Black Lives Matter demonstrations on June the 7th, though, that peaked up in Scotland, we think about maybe 30,000 people together were on the streets mm -hmm. of, of, of Scotland's cities and, and towns, you know, about up to 10,000 in Glasgow, maybe about seven or 8,000 in Edinburgh. Nobody's seen that many black people on Scotland's streets yeah. ever. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is simple. 
young black people who've grown up in Scotland over the last 20 years have only known Scottish institutions. They've been to Scottish schools, mm-hmm. they've been to Scottish workplaces, they have grown up with the, the daily racisms that they have to face, whether it's microaggressions on a bus or in a shop, mm-hmm. you know, security guards following you around, something don't sit next to you, or people, whether it's an openly aggressive verbal abuse or physical abuse that you've experienced, whether it's police stopping you in your car. The fact that those experiences are so widespread, and that when, it, you know, I've had lots of conversations with parents in the last few months about how their kids experience racism in school and it's not dealt with by the schools uh, and this is a very wide experience from every ethnic background and from every part of Scotland I've spoken to people from Shetland to Dunfree so I know this is a massive problem where people have this myth in their heads that Scotland doesn't do racism that we all jump jumps and spins and therefore we don't have racism we do and those demonstrations show several things not only do we have a racism problem in Scotland but also that young black people in Scotland, they may be proud to be Scots and they may be proud of their heritage, but they're fed up with racism and are not going to take it anymore. Uh, and that, that's the clearest message. So the big demands they had was, we want these slavery names on streets and statues celebrating slave owners removed. Mm-hmm. We want uh, the decolonization of the curriculum so that we stop denigrating African and Caribbean people's history and culture in, in our the way we educate ourselves, but also that we want actual institutionalised racism to go. We want access to jobs, education, housing, labour markets, all these things that make a normal life possible. Black Lives Matter doesn't just mean being alive and not being killed by the police. It means having a decent life and being able to live freely. And what I think many Scots and many white people across the world actually have probably learned for the first time is just how pervasive this racism mm-hmm. is. It's made it visible for them because, mm-hmm. of course, these atrocities have appeared on video. We just had the latest of them uh, just this week and just gone. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the, just how much violence and disrespect is used towards the black community in America. And I think you're, just, you're talking about the latest incident. Last night's events really bring home to people how black people and white people are treated differently. A 17-year-old white boy with an automatic rifle walking down the street, he had just murdered two people, he walks past a group of police, goes home and goes to his bed. A black man stops his car with his kids in it to prevent a domestic uh, violence situation, walks away from the police and ends up with seven bullets in his back. It's just, it's, it, it's beyond obscene. I think it's, whilst we, we, we wish it wasn't happening, I think the fact that it is in people's, you know, it's on their phones, it's on their TVs, it's on their computers, they are seeing that this is actually happening. It's not something that a few black people have spoken about and feel an injustice about. This is, this is real. And it's important now for me, you know, we, one of the things that we have done over the, the lockdown period uh, is... Uh, ask uh, a number of the young black people who have been involved in their services over the years to share their experiences of growing up in Scotland and we left it as open as that, asking them to share it and as much as they share uh, many of the positives I think the, 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 the overriding theme that came through for me was racism is banter 
you know, with the, the how, how upset that they were, that their the, the, the friends or white friends just thought it was a joke when they made a comment about the Jackson Five, you know, and a group of kids, a group of whatever, our young people and their brothers were getting on a school bus, and, and how offensive that is and how demeaning it is. And what we as an organisation want to do is continue to play our part in, in raising awareness of people's experiences, but give, I mean, given that 40% of our participants identify as black and minority ethnic, is give them that platform to see how they feel and, 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 and to take this campaign forward. What, what is, what, where are we in Scotland currently in terms of Black Life Matters movement? You know, how organised is it? Is it a growing movement? What are the plans for the future? Okay, I, I've been to Black Lives Matter demonstrations in Dundee, Dunfermline, uh, Edinburgh and of course Glasgow. Um, and we are a national movement now we've, with a number of local chapters. And we've, we've made a deliberate effort to help coordinate the demonstration organisers across Scotland. And we've done that. We're now called Black Lives Matter Scotland. We've been published with our own set of principles and values, which are derived and developed from the American movements, but with a specific Scottish context. Because, you know, say, for example, the big de demand in America is around defunding the police, mm -hmm. right? And for obvious reasons, because the police force there is not the same as the, what we understand a, a police service here, which is community... Uh, element to that, and you know, that, that doesn't exist in America. What you've got in America is militarized policing yes. uh, as an occupation army, as an occupation force. Thank goodness that in Scotland we don't have that, but in parts of England and some communities down south, they do have that you know, that, that, rela that negative relationship with the police, and that needs to change. Now, now it, we're fortunate in Scotland, we're probably closer to a, a more community led human rights approach to policing. We haven't got it perfect because we've got some problems. There's no doubt that we have a problem with police attitudes to Absolutely. black people because yeah. that's what they tell us. But at least they don't have guns. At least they're not shooting dead people. And at least they're not kneeling on their necks. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not possible to happen in Scotland because and the attitudes are there in the yeah. mindset. So yeah. it's that that needs to be tackled. And so we need to make sure that the police is community accountable. So we're not calling for defunding the police in Black Lives Matter Scotland. What we're arguing for is community-controlled and accountable policing, and I think that's relevant to our demands. But we certainly support the demands elsewhere that money should instead go going into guns and big water cannons and trucks and riot shields should go into youth and community projects, mm -hmm. um, youth community reoffending and community justice uh, programs to help youth develop strategies, mechanisms, and skills and experiences that are positive. That's a far better way to spend our money than to spend it on on police violent action. So we've got a movement. We're we're Black Lives Matter Scotland. We're quite easy to find, and we're trying to develop local chapters and groups. One of the important things, I suppose, it does is that many most of the people who've been on the demonstrations have been white people, right? And that's important that the allies that we've developed from that process are willing to stand up and no longer stay silent when they see racism and when, when they know that their black friends and colleagues are experiencing it, they, they, they will amplify their voices and support them. So, so we're encouraging what they call allyship, you know, to make sure that you're good anti-racist allies. To be an ally requires not just yourself to be not racist, that is a given, you know, that's um, 
the admission price of being a human being. Mm-hmm. What we're expecting from you is to be active anti-racist, and that means challenging institutions. You know, if you walk into a building in the west of Scotland, especially a public building, mm-hmm. and there are no non-white faces in there, then something has gone wrong. There mm-hmm. should be, and you should question when you go into a room why there aren't. Absolutely. You know, if, it's just as you would if there were no women there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, you, you wouldn't go into a public building in a public organisation and expect no women to be there. Mm-hmm. So we should not expect black people to be there. Ask the question why they're not there. Ask for changes to be made. Demand that they're made. Support that your black colleagues are asking those things to happen. For young people, I think it's really important that in this day and age with COVID, obviously the big thing is going to be employment and how you get access to these things. So measures have to be taken to allow uh, our young people to come into those spaces and to get employment opportunities, study opportunities. These are things that we're going to have to just tackle and deal with, especially for councils and public bodies uh, and the demands that Black Lives Matter raises on these questions are really important. So I'm I'm very optimistic that... uh, we're going to achieve some positive changes because undoubtedly the public has had their awareness raised by the by mm-hmm. post George Floyd moment, uh, and it's also a really important black pol- moment of black political arrival amongst this current generation, and that's important because prior to this, I don't think we really had a, an African Caribbean or Bain sort of black consciousness and politics yes. represented out there. And that's important now if we're going to talk about anti-racism and developing Scotland the way it is, that voice now is there. Mm-hmm. It's showing itself on the streets, it's showing its ability to, to mobilise people and we're very proud of that in Black Lives Matter Scotland but it needs to keep going. We have the Second Bayou Public Inquiry coming later in the year and it's really important that the family, unlike five years ago who were left pretty much on their own to deal with this policing question and the legal question the failure to to properly deal with his, his death, uh, they were left to deal with that on their own. Mm-hmm. And this time, when the public inquiry comes, uh, we expect thousands to be at the court in Edinburgh. So we'll be mobilising to get people to support that family physically and materially, to help them get their legal costs, because they don't get funding from the from legal aid, whereas mm-hmm. the police people involved in the killing will, the, the police Scotland will, the Lord Advocate will be there, the government will be there, everybody will be represented by public funded lawyers. The family won't be. So it's really important then that we in Black Lives Matter support them. So that's a, a really important thing that's coming up. And I think if, if that inquiry will it will probably tell us something we already know. That you know, institutionalised racism plays a role mm-hmm. in how people get disadvantaged. It plays a role in in the end in black people being either physically injured or, or yeah. dying. That for that to change, the mindsets have to change and the education and training of police officers and indeed all public bodies, whether it's courts, uh, it's, you know, other institutions, whatever they are, they need to change too in order to make sure that we're in those spaces. At that point, you make it about educating the institutions. A question for me uh, in, in the Scottish context does Black Lives Matter movement have a specific place in terms of educating new police officers? Should, should it form part of the, the, the training that they do at Tully Allen in terms of not just anti-racist work but you know looking again at the past uh, and the current situation and, 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 and the police role in, 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 in that? Uh, I'm not sure if we have a role in the police uh, 
thing. But there's no doubt that in Taliana, for example, I've been there and I'm aware that their officers, they have a human rights-based curriculum and approach to training, mm -hmm. you know, and in the physical training methods. They absolutely specifically say that you shouldn't kneel on or sit upon somebody to asphyxiate them. Mm -hmm. That's specifically ruled out. And yet, despite that training, this happens in Kokodi. And obviously, just, they don't train officers to do that in the States either. Mm -hmm. But the fact that somebody has broken the laws, broken the rules of engagement, broken the procedures, what happens? Well, if I did that in my other job, in any job that I have, you know, if I did that as a counsellor, I would get removed from office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I think most other people, if they did something that was counter to their, their training and procedures, they'd get fired. In this case, if somebody dies in your, in the, at your workplace as a result of your action, you would be arrested. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It's whether the law equally applies to the people applying the law. Uh, and that's what the demand we have. I think in Scotland, we're possibly closer to doing that. If the inquiry gives us some results, it will probably give us some, some findings. And I hope that when the Bayou family get their justice, which is that the people who, who took their, their family member's life away pay for it in some way, or at least are exposed as being wrongdoers, because that's the thing. That's a crime. We all know it's a crime. He shouldn't be dead. Mm -hmm. He didn't commit a crime. He shouldn't be dead. Mm -hmm. If he had committed a crime, he shouldn't be dead. And that's why we all felt his death very, very, very personally and viscerally. The last time I felt like that was with Stephen Lawrence. Mm -hmm. I actually you know, lived in South London during that, those days, and I'd actually used the same bus stop that he was murdered at many times. So we all felt that very personally, mm -hmm. and that was why there was a big upsurge in interest around the Malcolm X film and then the Black Panthers. I was a member of the Panthers in, that, mm -hmm. in London in those days. My generation really responded very personally to that, and I don't doubt it's the same for, for young white people now with the current circumstances. In, in the London context, uh, obviously, in terms of the Windrush generation, there, there's, there's been families uh, committed in uh, the UK since the 50s uh, from generally the Caribbean. In the Scottish context, my, my perception is, is different. Many of uh, the, the young black people in Scotland now are, are the children of people who've come directly from Africa, you know, a, a, a asylum seeking and the links. I wonder whether there's, there's maybe a difference in attitude or, or experiences or maybe the young people whose families have, have come directly from Africa, who have sought asylum here, is, is, there, is there maybe still a fear in young people that get involved in things like black lives because they are sort of first or maybe just second generation to this country and don't want to rock the boat despite their experiences? Mm. What, what, what's your understanding? Well, I think my uh, my understanding is parallel to the experience I had in the seventies. You know, my family, I, you know, I was second generation. Yeah. My family has obviously arrived in the fifties and sixties, and I grew up in the seventies and eighties. So we always had this conflict between blending in and fitting in and becoming British or Scottish or whatever, uh, and trying to keep our, our host, the culture of our family, mm -hmm. and often the the experience of trying to about your family's constrictions about how to what's the right way to behave versus what happens out there and how you deal with the racism out there often our parents of my generation anyway certainly 
our parents failed to understand what we were going through. Mm-hmm. They didn't really believe that we couldn't get jobs because white people were racist to us to stop us getting jobs mm-hmm. because they all had jobs. They all came to, to Britain, suddenly walked into jobs. Yeah. They, they did experience racism, sure. They experienced a lot of it. They dealt with it uh, you know, in their, their interesting ways sometimes. But they weren't stopped from getting employment, whereas we were. We were a whole generation of people who just couldn't get work, yeah. uh-huh. even at a time of full employment. And our parents often didn't believe that we were trying hard enough or that we should just ignore them. You know, so there was a tension between generations about how they perceived the racism problem. I think this, that's true now. Um, it's it's diffi- difficult. We, obviously, most of the black people who live in Scotland are African. They are 95% of them. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm, I'm one of the minority that's Caribbean. Uh, so obviously, most people have a living memory. Either they go to school in Africa and then come to Scotland, and their parents are still Africans. They may be in Scotland, but they're Africans who live in Scotland. So of course, many of these uh, communities exist with community organisations, with churches and uh, uh, mosques and everything. So they've got sort of a, a religious faith community background, which is a solid cultural background to come from, and it's you know. There's no doubt, people are very clear, I'm African and I'm proud and I know who yeah. I am. It's different for Caribbean people because we have to search for our, our Africanness. We have to yeah. come to it politically mm-hmm. by having a black consciousness. So in a way, many Africans I've experienced is that they don't really relate to the black label or to the labels of BAME or, mm-hmm. or colour-based identification because they don't see themselves that way. Yeah. Obviously, when you're growing up in Africa, you don't have to think of yourself, oh, am I black or am I not? Because everybody's black. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so it's not something you ever have to think about until you come here. Uh, and that's of course, so on one level you want to reject being defined that way, but on the other hand you have to acknowledge that because you've been defined that way by others, you are ex- receiving negative and uh, disadvantaging treatment. So it's that tricky thing, well what do you do, do you challenge these institutions you're coming up against or do you try to ingratiate yourself with people it's a typical ask we're asking young people to do, to straddle two cultures, to deal with the institutions of your own family and your local community of, of whether you're from Uganda or Nigeria or Kenya or whatever country you're from. And then you're having to navigate the Scottish cultural mm-hmm. institutions. Uh, it's a difficult thing to ask our young people to do. Yeah. So, and, and I think that dual identity, you should be proud of that dual identity, but recognise that you're dealing with two sets of institutions at the same time. And, you need to have the tools to be equipped for that. So that's why you need the politics. You need the political understanding to deal with that. You need the emotional strength and the mental health well-being, quite frankly, to, to, to deal with that. So how can organisations, youth work organisations such as Achieve More, assist in that and assist with the wider uh, Black Lives Matters uh, movement? I think we have to teach all young people and all Scottish people respect for the cultural institutions that African young people come from. So respect for the fact that you know because a community is not hard to reach, you know why? Because you know exactly where they are every Sunday and every Friday. And that culture of 
we, we don't necessarily go to pubs or clubs, or that maybe younger people do, but the older generation maybe doesn't. So the, the cultural background that the people come from, it's very secure, very extended family, all of those values are really important to African people in a way that perhaps is, is a bit different from the wider society. The idea of a, uh, an 18 year old leaving home and living on their own is, is not the norm in an African uh, community. Uh, you, you expected to, to still have that connection with your extended family in a way that perhaps we've forgotten about in, in the host Scottish community. Um, I'm not, I, I know there's exceptions to that, it's not true everywhere, but mm -hmm. I think generally speaking that, that cultural difference is quite important and also where you learn power and, and access to things. You know, If you don't go to pubs and clubs every half a week because it's against your religious beliefs, well then you, you're missing out on a lot of social connections that yeah. are made in business, culture, community organising, mm -hmm. you, you miss out on. So you then don't have the system knowledge that you would normally have as a citizen which would allow you to navigate all those systems. And I think many of our young people start with a lot of disadvantages. First of all, their parents don't know the, the stuff that they need to know. Mm -hmm. And then their parents don't have the connections and the networks, and so then they don't have the networks. The parents do have networks amongst the African community, and of course churches and so on, or anybody who's linked in that way. So it's trying to make sure that we have a broad, sorry, that we have a, a broad um, introduction and a broad sort of sweep of connections and networks mm -hmm. that allow us to navigate and get around the, the mm -hmm. institutional racism barriers that mm -hmm. we might face. So I think just being system knowledge, system aware, this is really important for all young people to understand and to, you know, even if you're if you're a white person, to know, okay, this system works in this way. It's a not overt system sometimes, it's sometimes very overt, but to know that that system's operating, mm -hmm. to understand how it works and therefore to challenge it. It's, it's sometimes intangible, sometimes very overt and obvious, mm -hmm. but it's just understanding it and therefore tackling it. So anti-racism has to be about learning what the system's about and doing what you can to counter them. And as an organisation, as I said earlier, 40% or, or so of our participants identify as white minority ethnic. I feel we are in a very, very strong position to to play a part in, in, in supporting White Lives Matters uh, and, and to, to support young people in terms of navigating those systems is, 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 uh, that you identify. We don't always get it right, but we are, we are open to to change and, 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 and to developing to, to make sure that we we are not just a sport and physical activity organisation but we are a youth work organisation which is supporting young people's mental and physical health, eh, their emotional development and their access to employment or training or education and, and the likes. And we you know we, we very much want young people to feel that, 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 that we can play that part for them going forward. Going forward, what are your hopes for the, the short, medium and long term in relation to Black Lives Matter? Well, in the short term, I hope to be putting a resolution. I hope by the time this goes out that a resolution has been passed at Bladder City Council around the Black Lives Matter question that authorises the official policy of the council to be that we have a museum of slavery culture, we have a consultation going with the public around redefining the names of our squares and places, that we have an active programme of 
uh, anti-discrimination within the workforce and in the labour market. Uh, so I'm hopeful that I'm, I will have passed this stuff in the September Council meeting and that now in, in October uh, we have uh, successfully achieved that and we've got a plan and a strategy to bring a consultation with the paid communities and properly bringing them into the process of, of deciding how we challenge racism. So I hope that one of these things will happen. Um, I also hope that we will have a, 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 an environment where young people will feel confident because I think that the confidence to act is also really important. I think that's for all people. You know, having your self-confidence, your self-worth, your emotional and mental health strength to challenge things where you know that they're wrong so that you have the authority and the power to do it, uh, it starts with confidence. I really do think that that's such an important commodity that you provide in spades because you give them the ability to say, to speak, to do, to organise, to act. And these are all crucial life skills. Mm -hmm. and they're all massively important to the development of a person. So uh, I'd like to see a much more confident younger generation able to challenge, able to stand for office indeed. I hope that in two years' time I'll have some more younger people. My colleague in Spring Valley, in fact, uh, she was 19 when she was elected, so she's proof that you can do this at a young age. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to see more black people actually standing for election too, but also be in those leading positions in public authorities and in companies. I want to see their faces Absolutely. in offices when I'm walking into them. Fantastic. Couldn't agree anymore. Personally, what's your hopes for the future? Well, <laughs> by, now, by the time this goes out, I'll have decided whether, you know, who I'm supporting to go for Parliament and stuff like that. So I'm hopeful that there'll be a number of main candidates uh, in the running to be selected to run for the Hollywood elections next year. I'm hoping that there'll be some really good ones. Um, I'm, so short term for me, I suppose I would like to see flag up Scotland Jamaica and the relationship between Scotland and Jamaica flourish and to be properly recognised next year. A lot of the things we were going to do this year around Glasgow's UNESCO Music City and linking Jamaica and Scotland. I hope that by, I might well be uh, uh, telling you by the time this is gone out whether, uh, who the new rector of Glasgow University is and and whether they are prepared to sort of support the reparative justice stuff that we're doing with Glasgow. I'd like to see other universities doing this. I would expect the beginnings of the de de decolonisation of the curriculum to, to get moving. So I think we're, we're, it's going to be an exciting year. And as we move into the COP21 next year, I, I expecting the question of environmental awareness and carbon reduction and the whole thing we're doing around physical fitness and, you know, making cycleways available mm -hmm. and pedestrianising our squares, reducing the carbon footprint to zero, this will take on a, a, a real momentum of its own. So I hope that a lot of our young people will be really, really massively involved in all of that. And so what will you be doing in your spare time? <laughs> <laughs> You're assuming I have spare time. <laughs> uh, I, I, no, I, I hope that I, I, I have got a bike again, so I, I have started to cycle again. Fully I'll need to keep doing it. Um, but yeah, I, I've started to cycle again, and uh, that's after ten years' break. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be using some of these cycle lanes. I hope. And credit to Glasgow City Council for the the efforts that they've made to to, to make cycle lanes uh, and make them more accessible to more people in terms of of, of uh, encouraging people to get out there and get fit.
as a charity oh. that promotes physical fitness, then you know we support that for them. Oh, cricket! I forgot about cricket. How can I have a conversation about that? Much about cricket. Um, I hope by next year we'll have a, 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 the Springbourne Community Cricket Club set up. But I've been playing cricket with the Bangladeshi community in the yeah. last couple of weeks, and that, that's gone really well. So I'm hoping that sometime during 2021 we we'll formalise the club. We have people from all sorts of backgrounds from. Bengal, from Sri Lanka, from Australia, from West Indies, from West Africa, yeah. all playing cricket in in Springburn on a regular basis during the summer. That's what I'm hoping for. And you know <laughs> that we have strong working, working links with Cricket Scotland and we are keen and have over the last four or five years including cricket as one of the offerings for young people at our holiday camps and that will continue. We've two cricket coaches have come along for that. So, Yes, you know, the next day, cricket superstar might come from Springburn, who knows? Oh, sure. <laughs> Anything's possible. Graham, uh, I know how uh, busy things are uh, just now for you uh, uh, as an elected member uh, and on a personal level with your Black Lives uh, Matters uh, involvement, I mean, amongst many other things. Uh, that's why I want to say thanks. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, even before the podcast, we had spoken uh, with someone about the potential for, for supporting uh, awards, uh, recognising the Black African uh, community uh, in, in, in uh, Scotland. Uh, so I, I really appreciate the time that you've given to uh, the organisation, the time that you've given to the political agenda and moving that forward for the benefit of uh, so many uh, people, in particular young people uh, in Glasgow and uh, I look forward to being involved uh, directly or indirectly uh, in the future in terms of help to take my life's uh, movement forward and to support them. cricket amongst many other things uh, in, in Glasgow. So thank you very much for your time. You're welcome.